you do me a favor, will you welcome all those joining us on Facebook Live, let them know how awesome it is to have them online today. Thank God for technology and those that join us around the world. For those of you in-house, want to give you an update with the Now campaign, our kids, our students expansion. We're so excited about that. We've been meeting with architects, builders, banks, more meetings coming this week. And uh, we're about getting close to the halfway point of monies that uh, we need to raise on our end uh, to make it make sense to move forward and to build. And so as of right now, we are at uh, just shy of $200,000, and we want to get as close to four or 500000 as possible. So in the room online, thank you to everyone who's playing a part uh, and your generosity uh, for the NOW campaign with our uh, children, our students, our college age, the internship. It's going to revolutionize, we believe, this side of, of the campus, the facility at this location, the other side. It's, it's amazing. I get excited in the meetings uh, just looking at uh, what we are going to be able to do for this generation with that, with that renovation and that expansion project. So we're excited about that. Also, I uh, just want to give a shout out to the marriage retreat. I feel like every year we have, we have limited spacing for it, and every year we max out the number and then try to squeeze as many people in as possible. We've had people sitting in doorways, and it's always one of the highlights of the year is, is our marriage retreat. And so that's coming up in February. We want to give you the opportunity to get signed up and be part of that, not only the sessions, but eating together, uh, the, the, the fun uh, you know, time that we have, the, the spiritual moments that we have with the couple's communion. It's just a special time every year. So I hope you can make it. Speaking of marriage, just, just how many in the room by show of hands? How many married people we have in the room by show of hands? The uh, married people all over the room. Uh, how many want to get married? How many want to get married? Come on, raise your hand. Be like, you know what? I'm tired of this. How many love being single? It's uh, like, do your own thing. See, they're in, they're in every service, every crowd, like, don't mess with me, I'm good, I am good, Micah. Speaking of marriage, I heard the joke, Jimmy is reading his newspaper, and as Jimmy's reading his newspaper, he says to his wife, Edith, look, there's, there's an article in the newspaper about how women speak and use twice as many words as men. Edith thought about it for a second and responded, she said, well, that's because we have to tell you everything twice. Uh, how many women could say amen to that? I heard the joke about one couple. They've been married for 50 years. And some people was asking this couple, what is the secret to their long marriage? How do you stay married for 50 years? And the husband said, well, we take time to go to a nice restaurant two times a week. We have a little candlelight, good dinner, soft music, some dancing. She goes on Tuesdays and I go on Fridays. <laughs> That's not funny. I did hear the joke about uh, the wife. She'd been married for years and she was talking to some younger ladies and she was telling them mar marriage actually teaches you a lot. Uh, she said, you know, she was sharing just one of the things. She said, I've, I actually now know 75 different ways to tell my husband that he's wrong. Um, Someone said, uh, I heard someone say, I don't know why, I don't know why that men go to bars to meet women. Go to Target. The female to male ratio is 10 to 1, and the women are already looking for things they don't necessarily need. <laughs> it's 
not funny. Those of you that like studies and statistics, I, I like uh, statistics and facts and, and things like that. I, I actually have heard that uh, studies say studies say that some women actually don't even pass gas. Uh, they just hold it in and it comes out as drama. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> sort of it is. I don't know if it's funny in church, but it's... All right, 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, is that like a weird transition to go from that to... If you have your Bibles, um, 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to be talking about clean today. Everyone say clean. Let me say it one more time, clean. 2 Kings chapter 5, I want to read to you a story about a man by the name of Naaman. And to take this biblical, historical story and apply it to our lives. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse number 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man. I want you to notice that today he was a great man. In high favor, by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man. Notice the description of his life. He's a mighty man. But he was a leper. Mighty, powerful, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would, some translations will, will use the word wish, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he meaning the man of God, the prophet, he would cure him of his leprosy. Verse 9, So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be, here's our word today, clean and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, of the Lord his God. And notice this, and wave his hand, that he would wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. He turned away and went away in a rage. Our, our final verses today, verse 13 and 14, but his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he, Naaman, went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was, everyone say clean. He was clean. The name Naaman comes from a Hebrew verb that means delightful, pleasant, beautiful. If you were to read 
whether it's commentaries or even different translations of the wording used to describe Naaman, some of the words you would find commander, important, great, powerful, popularity, he had prestige, he's highly regarded, honorable, rich, recognized, he has access to the king, but he was a leper. So you read and study all of these words, all of these attributes, all of these characteristics that look like when, 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 but he was a leper. It's amazing to me over the years of pastoring and ministry how I could read these verses and then revisit in my own life conversations that I have had with people where they will begin to say, Pastor Micah, my husband is a really good man, a hard worker, he provides, but, and then people will begin to fill in what that area is, but he has a gambling addiction. People could say, Pastor Micah, my wife, such a sweet spirit, it's a big heart, but my son, my daughter, if you knew my child, my child, such a good person, but the addiction, the opioids, if, if you knew that man, that woman, Pastor Micah, we're, we're childhood friends. We grew up together. We were neighbors. We went to school. And they'll list the wins. And then often they'll follow it up. But they have anger issues. But they're undisciplined. A good person, but they battle pornography. That, that, that guy, that guy is such a good guy. But if you're around him for, for five minutes, he really struggles with gossip. But they're greedy. But they're selfish. But they're egotistical. But take a moment today Look at the person beside you, especially if they're a family member or a friend. Look them right in the eye. Will you, will you do, do me a favor? Look them right in the eye and ask them, how big is your butt? Like just one T. One T. B-U-T. Because the truth of the matter is we all have some naming in us that, that, that we could cover with a smile. We can cover with, I'm good, 
I'm fine. I got it together. But then on the inside, we all have that but. And then what is that situation? What is that sin? What is that struggle in your life? Where you know, and ultimately God knows, that I am not the best man, the best woman, the best person I could be because of that. He has a commander. He has authority. He has a position. He is leading. But even though he's a commander, he has a condition. He's important, but he has issues. He's very gifted, but he has a glaring weakness. If we're not careful in life, we spend all of our time celebrating the powerful in a person's life. We actually, if we're not careful, will assume that the winds actually can overshadow the weakness. And so because I am winning here and here and here and here, I don't have to acknowledge that. We have so much good that we often can overlook that area of our life that all of us could say, I wish that God could help me with that. Matthew Henry, who was one of my favorite or most read commentaries, I will read several when studying passages and the context of it. Matthew Henry says about Naaman, every man has something that blemishes and diminishes him. He may be very happy, very good, yet in something or other, not so good as he should be, nor so happy as he would be. See, I would submit to you today that it's possible to succeed and still struggle. That when we take this this biblical story that's thousands of years old and apply it to our lives, when we say we all have some Naaman inside of us, that every one of us could be described as we win, we succeed, we make progress, but God, I would really like you to help me with this. In this passage of Scripture, we have a maid, an Israelite, who's carried captive into Syria, and Naaman's household gets connected with this young lady. Never, never underestimate the importance of relationships that God brings into your life. How you will come to an intersection or a crossroads in life, and God will bring a certain person or certain people into your pathway. Never underestimate how important that could be in your life. This young lady that is in this season of her life in Naaman's home notices the leprosy. And she is going to point him 
to the prophet. When you look at this passage, I think a principle that we could take note of is that those closest to us typically see the sickness most often. Those closest to us typically see the sickness most often. You maybe could say that today of someone in your life where where you would say, Micah, you don't really know someone until you live with them. You don't know someone until you, you work with them. Over my years of pastoring and ministry, I could think of many scenarios where people have said, I opened a business or a company or I opened it with the best friend. I opened it with a family member. And Micah, I saw a side of them in business that I didn't even know existed. They say you don't know someone until you play sports with them. For some people, they would say you don't really know someone until you play a game with them. Like they could be the most lovable, kind, gracious, and, and yet that woman gets at a little league game and her little Johnny is not getting the breaks. And you can see a side of her that you're like, who is that? You could, you could get out a Monopoly game. It's funny when I hear stories like this where people will say, have you ever played cards with that person? Like, have you ever played a game with that person? Like, Pastor Micah, they are like, flip the game, like, you're cheating, I'm... This proximity can allow you to see certain things in people's lives. This young lady sees the sickness and verse 3 says, she says, I wish or I would that Naaman could get around the prophet or the presence of God. I wish or I would. He's here, but if I could get him there. I want you to think just for a moment today of the people in your life that had that same prayer or same desire for you. Maybe it was a praying mom or a praying grandma. Maybe it was a dad that cared. Maybe it was a friend that even at your low points, they didn't really want to give up on you or walk away. Maybe it was a preacher or a pastor, but someone in your life that said, I know you're here, but if you could get there, she said, I believe you could be made clean or whole. When you look at your life and you remind yourself of those kinds of people, how many of you are thankful today for the people in your life that didn't give up on you when you had your leprosy or your struggle or your situation, but they believed, 
I think God could do something special in their life and they wouldn't quit or they wouldn't give up on you. Naaman has at this point in the passage, I believe that he has a young girl that has what I would call a hopeful healing. A hopeful healing. If you read the miracles of Elisha, it's not like you see a long track record where he specializes in leprosy. Not like you're going to read, well, he did it for him and he did it for her. And This young girl takes a step of faith or a leap of faith and she has a hope for Naaman's healing. Can I encourage someone today? If you've been praying for someone, maybe it's praying for your husband or praying for your wife or your son or daughter or your parent. Maybe you've been praying for that friend or that coworker, and you know they're here. Can I just encourage you today? Don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. The Bible says if you knock, keep on knocking. If you ask, keep on asking. If you seek, like don't stop believing in a hopeful healing. Let the Holy Spirit stir it up on the inside of you today. Let the presence of God on the inside just elevate your faith to believe I'm not giving up on the Naaman in my life. I'm not giving up on the person that I know has a glaring weakness. I want to believe that God can make a difference. Don't give up on a hopeful healing. Naaman has some sort of an admission or agreement. When you look at the steps to a turnaround, often people will say there's seven steps to a turnaround. Some have ten steps to a turnaround. It's the progression you go through in life when dealing with a serious situation. Often, one of the first areas is denial. Denial. That means that you start saying, I don't really have a problem. Or it's not that big of a deal. Or other people are doing it. Or, or the list goes on of the things you'll tell yourself. When you get past denial, that means you have an acknowledgement or an, or an admission in your life where you're like, yes, I, I want to see this change. Naaman has travel at stake. He has time at stake. He's going to gather together these chariots, these horses, these possessions. This is not like it's a... I'm going to go next door. It's a different culture. It's a different society. There's going to be a lot that goes into this trip. And so Naaman, at the request of this young girl, Naaman has some sort of a recognition or an awareness or an acceptance that he's going to make the trip to the prophet's house. When he arrives, he is met with what I would call unmet expectations. He has expectations of what it could look like. How God should heal him. How the prophet should receive him. And when Naaman arrives, it goes completely opposite of what he was hoping for. This is a really important part of the passage because I think that all of us struggle with this at times. Naaman is going to show up and he's going to be let down. 
God doesn't always agree to our terms. Like, I think God should do this in my life, Micah. Like, after all I've done and all I've been through, and I think God should, God, God doesn't always agree to our terms. God's callings and commandments are not always convenient. And in this moment of Elisha not coming outside, Elisha not waving his hand like Naaman thought he should, a messenger showing up with a message to go to Jordan, Naaman says two words that I think we all say at times. These two words are, I thought. Can we say those two words together? I thought. Think about the times in your life where you've used those two words. I thought by now. I thought at this age. I thought after all I've done. I thought my parents. I thought my spouse. I thought the pastor or preacher. I thought my boss, I thought the professor, I thought the coach, I thought God, I thought the church. You begin to revisit all the times that we, like Naaman, have had thoughts of how it should have worked out, how it should be playing out, and our mind will often keep us from the miracle. I thought, or maybe you slide those two words into this phrase in your life, I never thought. I never thought my parents would leave me. I never thought my child would rebel. I never thought that friendship, I, I never thought I would be sitting here right now going through this. Naaman is caught at a crossroads, an intersection that I believe we all face, and that is when what we thought does not line up with the move of God, the hand of God, the plan of God at that particular point in our lives. What do you do when it doesn't match? What do you do when it doesn't line up? I feel the Holy Spirit even for you today as you're listening. What do you do in that moment where what you hoped for, what you dreamed about, what you expected is not happening? He gets angry. Naaman does. Mad. The Bible would use the word rage. He goes into a rage. He's asking questions like, are not Abana and Farpar, aren't, aren't they better options? He's mad saying, well, why didn't the man of God come out? Why, why didn't he wave his arm? Why didn't he greet me? We often want our condition to change, but our requirement is that it has to be according to our preferences. We want to change, we want to be clean, but we want it on our terms. I'm not going to a dirty... Jordan River, I'm not going to counseling. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put myself out there for prayer. I'm not going to have accountability or responsibility in my life. 
not going to set up details of what discipline could look like. Like, like I want to be clean, but, but I'm not willing to do that. Naaman is in this moment, and anger takes over. They say that anger is when our mouth works faster than our mind. How many has ever been there before? Or you could raise one hand and say, that's me. Some of us could raise both hands and be like, which time? Anger, when my mouth is going to say, he begins to say, I thought, he said, I'm out of here, I'm done, why didn't he, how come? I heard the joke about the husband that asked his wife, he said, when I, when I get mad at you, you never seem like you argue back. When I'm mad or angry, you, you, never, you never really fight back. How, how do you control your anger? And the wife said, well, I, I just walk away and I go and clean the toilet. The husband said, how does that help? And she said, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> Not funny. Anger. A lot of people will do erratic, irrational things when they're angry. Think about your life. I, I, I've met people who say, Pastor Micah, I should have never slammed the door. I shouldn't have quit. I shouldn't have walked out. I shouldn't have said. It's because we all have a little bit of naming in us where when anger takes over, what happens when, fill in the blank, what happens when God doesn't meet your requirements? What happens when a church doesn't meet your requirements? Or a pastor doesn't meet your requirements? What happens when a husband or a wife? What happens when your career doesn't meet your requirements? What happens when a friendship, a love? I thought love, Pastor Mike, I thought we were going to date and communicate and laugh and intimacy. And I never dreamed that we would be fighting for our family or fighting for our faith or fighting for our future. What, what happens when life doesn't meet your requirements? In those moments, we all are susceptible to what happened with Naaman. Naaman gets mad, gets angry, and he's going to walk away. I've met people whose lives are defined by verse 12. We read down to verse 14. Verse 14, he's dipping himself, he's clean, it's a miracle, he's restored. How awesome is verse 14? But I've met people whose lives are defined by verse 12. Where they get stuck in verse 12. They stop in verse 12. They shortchange themselves in verse 12. They allow someone or something, this unmet expectation, to cause them. This anger, this rage... I've watched gifted people go. 
I've watched talented people turn away. Good people. Good people that got angry. I know children that have wondered why their parents were walking away. One of the worst things that we can teach our kids is to walk away from God when things don't go our way. People that said, I'm sick of it. I am sick of it. I'm mad. I don't care. It's not fair. I'm in a rage. I thought, I thought, I thought, I, I assumed. And sometimes we develop a mindset that the response to God not meeting our preference is to walk away. Here's the reality today. I've wanted to walk away. Not going to point the finger at Naaman. I would just admit in this holy moment, I've, I've wanted to walk away. There's times that I have started to feel myself sinking into verse 12. This isn't right. Not fair. How come? What about you? Has verse 12 ever tried to get a stranglehold on you? Has verse 12 ever tried to sink its claws in and grip you and say, I've got you exactly where I want you. Unmet expectations, questioning God, questioning your Elisha, questioning your life. I've got you exactly where I want you. He didn't answer the prayer you thought that he would. He, he didn't show up in the time. He, he didn't meet you on your terms and your preferences. Has verse 12 ever tried to close in on you? I'm thankful for verse 13. It may be my favorite part of the whole story. Aside of this ultimate miracle, I think verse 13 is so important. When it says that as he's leaving, he turned. Maybe you know someone who's turned. Maybe you've turned. You know when people say, he's turned into a man. I don't even know who he is. He's turned into a woman. Uh, you She's nothing like what she used to be. Naaman turns physically, and I know it can happen spiritually, and he's walking away. And verse 13 says his servants. Usually when someone's in a rage, you don't even want to mess with them, right? When someone is like flying off the handle, you're like, uh, let's just give them some time. Oh, let's go in the other room. Let's go for a walk. We'll come. Thank God for verse 13, where these servants go up to Naaman. Look at what they say. I thought it was going to be great. I, I thought what he told you, I thought it was going to be great. And then they ask a question, will you not do it? Will you not do it? Naaman, you've made it all this way. How sad is it going to be for your story? 
to be that verse 1, 2, and 3, God brings this young lady into your life. She tells you about a prophet, the presence of God. You make the trip. You have the king's endorsement. He tells you the solution. Go to Jordan, dip seven times. Naaman, how sad is it if your story ends this way? You get all the way to verse 12, and now you're going to quit? Come on, let God's Word talk to you today. You got to this point in your life, and now you're going to lose your fight? Come on, Naaman. Come on, warrior. Remember verse 1 and 2 and 3, how, how you wrought such great victories, and you worked your way through, and you're a fighter, and now you're going to lose your fight? They begin to talk with Naaman. Are you sure? You want to quit? Sure you shouldn't go back? I, I thought it was going to be great. Do you have someone who can talk you out of quitting? Do you have someone in your life a friend, a spouse, a pastor. Do you have someone in your life that can tell you, stop living bitter, stop living offended, stop living angry? Naaman, don't let rage be the end of your story. Do you have someone that can tell you, doesn't need to be over yet? The Bible says that they talked Naaman into turning around again and going back. If you've had someone in your life that refused to let you walk away, you look back over your journey and you can think of names right now. People that even if it aggravated you in the moment, they wouldn't stop praying for you. They wouldn't stop believing in you. They wouldn't stop texting or emailing or calling. They, 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 they just wouldn't give up on you. If you've had someone that wouldn't let you walk away, and you've had a verse 13 kind of moment, kind of encounter in your life, would you take a moment today and just thank God for verse 13 kind of people who talked you in when you were re ready to get out, you were ready to... And they wouldn't let you go. The Bible says he goes back and he dipped himself. No twisting of the arm. Not coercing him. Not pressuring him. Not forcing him. Not dragging him to the Jordan like you will go under. Not like Pastor Mike, I'm doing it to get my spouse off my back or my parents said, as long as you live under our roof, you will. Now, this is different this time. I'm not doing this for anyone or anything else. The Bible says he dipped himself. One. And I feel the Holy Spirit even as I'm saying it today. Two. Why are you reading that book? Why are you joining a group? Why are you going through a connection group? Why, why are you repenting? Why are you turning? Why are you counseling? Three. Because I know there's a better me. I know there's something God's trying to work out of my life. Four. 
Why are you in church? Why are you in God's Word? Five. He dipped himself. Six. What is it that God is asking you right now? To work on. To stretch. To fix. To challenge yourself. To say, you know, I... I don't think that God has pulled the best me. I don't think that God has found the best. What is it in your life that God is saying, if you'll let me, if you'll stop getting aggravated and upset and angry every time that I try to talk to you about that, I I can help. My spirit, my word, I can help. When you look at Naaman's progression, The first thing we find is that he acknowledged. Can we say that word together? Acknowledge. Doesn't deny. Doesn't get mad at who is this young girl telling me what to do? Does anyone know all of my titles? He acknowledges it. The second thing is that associations come into play. He's here. She said, I would or I wish that he could get here if I could get him around, around him, sometimes the key to your miracle is associations. You need to get around the right people. The right people can be part of your miracle. The third thing we see is his attitude. His attitude. That when the Holy Spirit God's presence or His Word says, I want to work on your discipline. I want to work on your emotions. I want to work on this addictive behavior or habit. I I want to work on, are we going to verse 12 it? Are we going to let rage take over? Are we going to ask God, help me with my attitude. Help me to stay in that refining, molding, shaping Attitude. And then the fourth thing we see is he took actions. Turned back around. He dipped himself. Acknowledge, associations, attitude, and actions. Maybe today you know that it's not by chance or coincidence you're here. You know it's not by happenstance or by chance that that you're listening right now. You know that God has been waiting and working for this moment. You may have even put it off. Maybe, Maybe you feel like for months or even years that God has been saying, are you ready yet? What about now? But you're here. God's Word is speaking to you. You're saying, I would really like that area of my life to get better. Maybe it is your thoughts. I thought, I thought, I thought. Maybe it's your emotions because God wants to help us with both. John 14, He said, I want to give you peace of mind and peace of heart. So sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's your thinking. Sometimes it's that emotion. For Him, it was rage and anger, but we have a lot of emotions. You're saying, God, I really want you to help me. 
I want to take action in 2020. This is my year, the start of this new decade. I want some things in my life to get better, and I am willing to dip myself. I'm willing to work on it. I'm willing to take some action steps. You close your eyes today. Give me the honor and the opportunity to pray with you. For some, it could be sin. The Bible says we're all born in sin. That's why we need a Savior. So you acknowledge the sin in your life. We're born in sin, but then the Bible will also talk about occasional sin and even habitual sin or continuing in sin. Whether for the first time you need to say, God, forgive me, I want to turn. Name and turn physically, that's what repentance is, you turn. Maybe for others you've, you've got off track in life and you know you need to repent again. It's not just sin that stops us. Sometimes it's struggles. Hebrews would call it the sin and the weight. Sin and weight. It besets or sidetracks you. You can be a Christian and still struggle. And maybe today it's the struggle that God's Holy Spirit is trying to get you to confront. What is the thing that continues to beset you or sidetrack you? What is that? But if you're serious, if in 2020 you're saying, God, I would really like you to help me in this area of my life. And even as I'm talking, you know what it is. You know what it is. You're saying, God, would you help me with that? Could be a wide range of things. Could be saying, God, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one with the discipline or I'm the one with that it's me, it's me. I have the unforgiveness, I have the offense. I'm the one who got stuck, it's me. It's my marriage, it's actually my child. The whole time you're talking, I'm thinking about my family. I sensed that early this morning when I woke up and prayed, some people have a call of God on their life like a for real you're not in place. You're not in position. You've let your ministry get off track. But today could be that moment where it gets aligned again. There is a verse 13. And there is a verse 14. You can do this. You don't have to stay stuck in verse 12. If it's you today in the room or online, I would love for you to acknowledge it. That's the first step. If you're in the room and you want to raise a hand and say, Pastor Micah, would you pray for me right now? Thank you. Thank you, sir, right here. Thank you. Hands going up here. Here with our students. Thank you right here. Thank you, sir. I see hands all the way to the back going up, still going up. Thank you. All the way back here. Thank you. I want you to help me, Holy Spirit. Come on, just in this prayer moment right now, I want you to visualize that I'm going to dip myself. I'm going to dip myself. Here goes, God. I'm not going to get stuck. I'm not going to stay. I'm not going to be status quo. Here I come, God. Here I am. I'm going to dip myself. I'm not walking away. I'm not quitting. I want you to work in my life again. In 2020, I want you to work in my life again. I've seen you move. 
I've seen you do it in the past, but I want you to do it again. Do it again in my life. For some of you, do it again in my marriage. Or do it again with my children. Do it again in my ministry. Do it again in my life. Reignite that fire. Restore that passion for God, for your presence. Do it, Jesus. And I pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand all over the room and make this song our prayer today? Come on, I've seen God move. I've seen Him move mountains, and I believe. I believe He can do it again. I believe He can do it again. I believe He can do it again. I'll see you do it again, Jesus.